0: Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding, interview edition, recorded Wednesday, May 27th, 2015. Welcome back. Yes, we have another interview for you. For somebody that is on Kickstarter right now and has previously been on Kickstarter and also writes for all us geeks, (laughs) so you can learn a little bit about the previous Kickstarter from his release uh, here recently, who is joining me on Skype tonight.
1: This is Paul Koska, All Us Geeks contributor and owner of Brick and Brack Games. Did that sound official enough?
0: That was, that. Was, <laughs> you you can take over, I think. I I think my I, I need to go and up my skills or something.
1: Excellent, you're fired. <laughs> oh,
0: God, I dream. I dream of the day somebody <laughs> takes all this over and does all the work. <laughs> yeah, so Paul writes for All Us Geeks and has his own little corner. I think I've pretty much said, uh, go nuts at, at least once or twice for you, Paul. Is, you've got kind of free reign on the site now, but you've kind of focused in on indie Kickstarter and, and the research that you've done around other indie Kickstarter projects for the most part.
1: For the most part, yeah. It's been a lot of, um, analyzation of, of other projects as they're ongoing or ones that have, uh, finished, whether they've funded or not. And sometimes about other stuff, too. Uh, but in any case, it's definitely about indie games and crowdfunding those games and the whole process, which is, encompasses a lot of things.
0: And, of course, you've been doing that because you were doing that even before you were writing for us because you were researching for your own Kickstarter.
1: Right. I spent probably four to six months of um really serious daily research before I launched my first Kickstarter campaign. And, you know, seeing what they did right and what they did wrong. And even then, I didn't, you know, <laughs> get everything right. Um, There were still some things that I had to learn just by doing it, which I guess is a good lesson all in itself.
0: Yeah, it it always is amazing that it's kind of the book learning versus real life learning kind of thing <laughs> that we go through in, in just about anything in life. and And it's one of those things where, yeah, you can... Be as prepared as you think you are, and then you get into it in a real life situation, and there's always something that research hasn't kind of defined for you.
1: Oh yeah, it's you know it's theory versus practice, and and beyond that, it's also a matter of how accurately can you judge your own work.
0: And you know, I, I've kind of we've already kind of started having a conversation because one, Paul and I talk close to daily, <laughs> probably. Pretty much, yeah, because. Uh, Paul is also on the Game Crafter, so another Game Crafter alum. Uh, so we're in the Game Crafter chat quite a bit together, so we have conversations. So it's kind of easy for me to kind of flow into having conversation with Paul because uh, we do it pretty much daily anyway. And then, of course, he started writing for all his geeks, so we've had some email conversations and all this good stuff. So I will, for everybody else, backtrack and, of course, finally get to our warm-up questions, Paul.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. There's things to do.
0: Yeah. Everybody's kind of probably wondering where my, uh, where my agenda is, which, uh, anybody that also listens for any amount of time knows I actually don't have one in front of me. So that's why things like this happen.
1: I'm just auditioning to be co-host. That's all.
0: <laughs> oh, let's talk. Later. Let's, let, let's talk later.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: we can have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh of course you've you've got a game and it's on Kickstarter right now, so you make games, but one of the questions we always ask is what do you do for a living besides make games? And of course you can be as general or specific as you would like to be.
1: So for a living for my actual day job is uh customer service for an insurance company, which is somehow more boring than it sounds.
0: <laughs> All right. So then you gotta Go home and make games.
1: (laughs) Among other things, yeah. Just finished a theatrical production. I've been picking up a lot more work in terms of voiceovers, making actually at least a little bit of money at that. You know, obviously writing, um, which makes nothing, um, but it's very enjoyable. But yes, in terms of actual day job, that's um, sitting in my chair and uh, being yelled at by people on the phone.
0: (laughs) Alright, so let's, uh, let's get to a more pleasant subject, hopefully. What makes you a geek, sir?
1: I think everything. I mean, that's a really cop-out answer, I know. But I I approach, everything that I approach in terms of things that I like, I kind of raise to that level of geekdom. You know, studying and learning and knowing trivia and everything. But in terms of something specific that other people might not have is definitely a Kickstarter. I don't think a whole lot of people Sit down and analyze campaigns and break them down and study, and not a whole lot of blogs, it's just about like here are all the particular things that you need to know about putting together a campaign. you know I'm not quite on uh you know Stegmire level or anything, but that's definitely something that makes me a geek
0: and of course you know you've you've made friends along the way as well with some of your articles
1: <laughs> you know i I would and this is something I've always learned from from re- reviewing. As well, if you're going to make a statement, whether it's positive, negative, whatever it is, especially if it's negative, as long as you don't get personal, state the facts, give your opinion and back it up with evidence, there's, you know, people can get upset if they like, but there's not a whole lot they can say against it because you've proven your point. Yeah. I've gotten negative things said about me and the things that I have made. And as long as they were well supported, I said, well, yeah, that's probably true. All
0: right. Yeah, and you've done an excellent job when kind of going over some of the projects and stuff. And I'm just kind of kidding because it was, uh I think, the very first article you wrote for us, you got a little bit of, of pushback because some people were uh not sure about the, the commentary you made. But I think... That was the instant that Jordan and I were sold that you were in the right place over at All this Geeks because you could piss somebody off right away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like five minutes after it went live, too. It was like so instantaneous. And the funny thing was, you know, I, I saw like he was super upset because I saw him, uh, just like a, a couple weeks later. And the ironic thing is he, he didn't fund. Um, and I think mostly because of the reasons that I gave in that breakdown. And I hope he comes back because. There were a lot of people who are really excited about that project, which is true of just about all projects that don't fund, just about.
0: All right, so then the last warm-up question that I keep interrupting myself on. Uh, you know, we always talk about how you can geek out about anything as long as you have the passion level for it. So do you have any geek-level passions for things that the typical person might not consider geek-related?
1: That people might not consider geek-related? God, that's just, like I said, just everything I I they touch. I kind of raise to the level of of geekdom, but hey, how about this for a transition? Shakespeare—that's something that uh, I think I, I study enough to raise to that level with theories of my own and really deep study, and enough that I made a game about it. So there you go. <laughs>
0: yeah, excellent transition. Just a little early. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there.
1: Oh, we'll get there. I was so close. <laughs>
0: But, yes, let's go ahead and mention at least one time up front that, you know, uh, the game that Paul has on Kickstarter right now is called Bill Shakespeare is Dead. And, of course, like we normally do towards the latter half of the episode, we will focus in a bit more on that specifically. But as we go along and kind of get to know Paul a little bit more, we'll find out about him designing the game and stuff. So we'll pick up bits and pieces as we go along here. Just a preview. Just a preview. Exactly. Just just tease him. Make him stick, stick around. Uh, Got to throw the breadcrumbs, yeah. you know, and and we'll we'll have him come back next week to find out how Bill Shakespeare actually died.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a cool story too. I mean, it's a, it's a whole of theory because nobody really knows because it's not like there were great records back then. They don't even know exactly like when he was born or anything like that. You know, there weren't really hospitals to okay. speak of. <laughs> Let's
0: see here you've obviously got a lot of creative outlets. What would you consider one of your favorite creative outlets that you, if, if you could forego everything else and focus in on this one thing, what would it be?
1: If I could forego, that's a great question because I do way too many things. (laughs) So picking one is kind of difficult. I think if you ask me on a different day, the answer will change and it kind of changes regularly. Some days it's it's live performance, especially in the director's chair, something I miss doing a lot. Some days it's writing, and that's you know really where I need to be. And some days it's creating games because one of the huge differences between you know, writing a novel and creating a game, one of the very cool differences is that you can sit with a novel for a year or longer before anybody gets to see it. And it's a very lonely process. But a game, you can have a prototype on the table in a couple of days if you're really ambitious. And so that that kind of instant gratification is so cool.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that, just from the aspect of when I used to write a lot. And if I ever kind of found myself either jumping, jumping what I was working on or something like that, it, it was all around the fact that you know, nobody's seeing this. It's all in my head. It's, it's what I think. And I think the most I ever stuck with and, and making sure I continued to write something was the, the person I was with at the time was reading it and was constantly not only giving me feedback, but pushing me to, okay, when's the next chapter? When's the next couple pages? When's, you got to give me something. And I think I put more work into that than kind of just sitting off by myself. And just writing to write, which I do like to do, but you're right. It's, it's in that vacuum until you can get it in somebody else's hands where the gaming side of things, if you can get your prototype together, there's all kinds of things. You know, you've got your, maybe you have got friends that like to play games. Maybe you attend proto spiels or unpubs. Maybe you have a local group, all that kind of stuff. And you can get feedback faster and make changes. Uh, so it is definitely a, a different process and a different level of energy to me, I think.
1: Yeah, for me it's it's been very it's been really great because I've got a group of friends and we all play games together, most of the the DM for, you know, we were doing Dungeons and Dragons now, which is another creative outlet to add to all that because it's like separate from gaming, it's a whole separate outlet. But uh for Bill Shakespeare, I I put together I started and put together the prototype on a Wednesday and we played it on a Friday. And you just can't do that with stories or novels or anything like that. I mean, it was terrible in that first that first playthrough, and we were all very very intoxicated. But I was able to do it, and that's something very cool.
0: <laughs> I know you just you said you you just kind of wrapped up some theater, some live theater uh, stuff mm-hmm. recently. And I know didn't you you've moved to like a smaller town where it's harder for you to kind of do that from what you were used to previously. Correct? Am I remembering
1: right? Yeah, it's it's true. Um, I. I went to school and spent, uh, spent eight years in Chicago and ran my own company there, did quite a few shows there. So I moved out here to Missoula, Montana, uh, to be with, uh, to be with my wife as she finishes school. And, um, you know, I'd really finished things up in Chicago and kind of, uh, wrapped it all up there. So it's not, not really that I miss it. It's just, it's definitely a different environment here and there aren't as many opportunities. And that's most definitely. One of the things that got me into designing games was kind of needing a, a new outlet and finding that I had kind of a knack for it, um, for putting together designs and making things go.
0: How difficult has it been for you to get like this production off that you just recently finished up?
1: Well, this one was not one of mine so it was very easy <laughs> cuz i was just in somebody else's show okay in terms of uh trying to get a show of my own put together it's been um pretty much impossible <laughs> i think that's a fair way to say it i've i've had this uh i've written quite a few shows but i have this adaptation of macbeth that i have tried to put together for quite a long time now i tried once in chicago and it didn't work and i tried once here just on my own and I couldn't get enough people for it and tried again here in association with kind of the large theater in town and still couldn't put it together just couldn't get enough people and what's funny is that there's only five people in it <laughs> and somehow I cannot put five people together and stick and put them in the show I don't know what that says about me or the show but that might be you know more on hold uh for the moment I've I've certainly got enough on my plate as it is. I probably don't need to add too much more to it. And I think my wife would probably agree.
0: <laughs> All right. So how about the uh, voiceover side of things? How did you start kind of doing that? And uh, how did uh, you start actually kind of making a little bit of a, a money off of that?
1: Yeah, um, I've always been enchanted By the idea of voiceovers and my very first job actually when I was 15 was at a group of radio stations and I loved it. I was just a board operator at first, you know, just the, just the guy sitting behind the controls, just pushing the buttons and not even pushing the buttons, really just kind of staring at the screen, making sure it, you know, it didn't crash, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and I would, I snuck on the air a couple of times if they had like pre-recorded copy that they had just done and a script for it sometimes i would just delete the pre-recorded copy and just read the uh read the copy on air live <laughs> <laughs> and about 6 months in i uh you know i was just barely 16 at this point i sent an email to the station manager and i said my name is paul koska and i've been working here for quite a while and i would love the opportunity to be on a show and i'm sure it sounded like an absolute idiot but for some reason they were like yeah sure show up on the uh, on Saturday mornings and uh we'll stick in on the Saturday morning show on the news radio network. And so I actually got to be on a show for a while. Um I reviewed movies. That was my first my very first review gig (laughs) at sixteen. And I've always I get the compliments quite a bit. You know, I have a nice voice for radio and things like that. And um when I got older I, uh, you know, really wanted to figure out like, how do you get into voiceovers and what do you do? You know, what kind of equipment do you need and all of that? And there are a couple websites that facilitate that where you can kind of get connected with people for jobs. Personally, right now I go with a site called Voice Bunny, which the pro is that it's free. which is nice because you don't actually have to pay to join. The really big websites you pay quite a bit to be a part of. The jobs are better, but you have to pay quite a bit up front. So that's the pro. The con is that you have to get things done very quickly. So for instance, just last night I had a booking and I had the booking and it was due 5 hours later. Wow. Yeah. And then I had revisions, I had revisions to do and that had to get done by the time i left for work this morning.
0: Yeah, that that is a quick. T- I mean, i i think most people try to do at least a 24-hour turnaround if they can, but yeah, f- 5 hours is is uh, kind of ridiculous. <laughs> That's tight. And how how long was the copy then?
1: That was only like 50 words. That was not a okay, very long one. Okay, yeah. A couple weeks ago as i was trying to get ready to put the kickstarter page together, in fact, that week i actually got One for a video game, and that was 2,000 words. And so for that, I had about 10 hours to do it. And I don't think you really understand how tiring it is to sit and read that many words and really, you know, get them out and act them well and, and be on. You know, it's like, it's about an hour worth of copy. And to really be on for an hour like that, it's really tiring. It's way more tiring than you'd think to just sit in a chair and speak words,
0: and it really ends up being potentially more than an hour too.
1: Oh yeah, I mean yeah, <laughs> it's you know whatever you're recording, it's at least that and half again, you know, in terms of time, and that's just the recording part, which is most often the the least time intensive part of the whole deal because sitting down and editing it and making sure that it's ready for you know ready to go that's can take much longer.
0: All right. Yeah. The only thing I, I kind of like about that versus this style of editing is it, it's a lot quicker to edit, uh, because you are working off of a script. So there's less of that. There's less of the ums and ahs and, and that kind of thing. And so it's, it's a much quicker edit for me, but it is, you're right. It's still a, a nice edit because I do more, more or less explainer videos and stuff. And, and, And that side of stuff, I don't, I don't really do a lot of like
1: characterization and stuff. You could just do what Richard Bliss does and say, oh no, we'll edit this part out (laughs) and then just let it go. (laughs) That's my favorite part of all of his podcasts is when he says something like, oh yeah, no, no, we'll just, you know, there's a big pause and he says, yeah, we'll just, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll cut that out. And then you realize Cut that at all. I'm listening to it right now.
0: Yeah, that's, I still love you, Richard, but that is my overarching general pet peeve in podcasting. That's one of like two or three. It's one thing when I hear it and I know it's a joke. It's another when you go, yeah, they meant to cut that out and then they didn't go back and do it. So that's, that's a huge pet peeve of mine.
1: (laughs) And it's the reason that I've never really gotten into podcasting or anything not just that i don't know that i'm interesting enough to carry it for that long but more than just that's really time intensive and i don't think people really appreciate how much time it takes to edit an hour worth of audio especially for something like a podcast until you do it
0: yeah well and that's always my advice that i've always given to people there's a lot of people out there will say you know record a few record a few see how you feel behind the mic and i always tell people no go one step farther edit at least one or two because if you get through the entire editing process and you still want to do it then yes you have a passion for it
1: yeah recording's easy yeah that's recording's is the- <laughs> sitting down and just you know saying whatever comes to mind that's that's not the hard part at all so <laughs> i guess if you fail that you really fail <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> which you can fail that <laughs> so you've got all these creative outlets other than gaming and you've got a day job that kind of helps pay the bills. What is it that made you decide you wanted to create a game? Let's start there. Let's just start at the ba- the mm-hmm. very base. What made you decide you wanted to create your own game?
1: Well, it wasn't this game, which is interesting. I actually created and got to the prototype stage um I think five other games before this one. But I hadn't, you know, until somewhat recently, I had not really gotten into Real gaming. You know, I had had the exposure that all kids do of the really simple games in childhood. And, you know, I've always been into games, you know, activities, always been a video gamer and all that. But a couple of years ago, we got together with a friend of ours who, you know, which is pretty much now our group and, um, started playing real games and didn't start with any like intro games. You know, Catan came like just. Eight months ago. So, you know, we started with weird stuff and, you know, kind of went in an odd direction. I think the first one was, I don't think anybody knows the full name of it, but it's a Battle Wizards. Something, (laughs) something Doom Mountain. It's a great game. If you have not played the game, I highly recommend it because it's still one of my favorites. It's just absolutely ridiculous, but awesome. We started there. We went to Betrayal pretty quickly and we skipped right to Battlestar Galactica not too long after that. And and just kind of started playing all these games, and then the idea for a really cool game mechanic popped into my head. Not even a full game, just the mechanic. I just was standing in the kitchen, and I was talking to my wife, and I was like, wait a minute, that was, this would be a great thing for a game. And I'd never made any, anything like that before, but just the mechanic popped up. And then a couple of weeks later, I sat down, and I was like, well, I've got this kind of base mechanic I should make. I should make a game and see how it works. And it went better than I thought. And as I started making that one, I got the idea for another one and another one. And so as I was finishing one prototype, I'd sketch up the ideas for the next one and put that together. And before I knew it, in a year, I had like five prototypes in different stages of you know, of, of working and all of them playable. You know, all of them, we actually sat down and you know, they were games and not just, you know, rough shapes
0: I mean, you've got these five prototypes and within these five, we're still not talking about Bill Shakespeare is dead yet, right? Is that what I'm understanding?
1: Yeah, that was um, Bill Shakespeare is the last, okay. the last to come about.
0: Up until roughly, it seems like to me, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you were still kind of in that playing casual hobbyist kind of building game stage. At what point did you decide, and and obviously it's it's, kind of seems like it was with bill shakespeare's dead because you put it up on kickstarter but at what point did you decide to kind of attempt the business side of gaming
1: well i had made all these prototypes and then i made bill shakespeare's dead and my wife said you need to do one of these and really do it and that was Exactly what I needed to hear. Cause I'd just been kind of flailing around and trying to find things and, you know, oh, I've got this new idea. I've got this new idea. And anyone who knows me really well knows that I say those words. I've got this new idea about five times a day. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I needed, I needed to be told, like, pick one, push it all the way through. And so I decided that that Bill Shakespeare is dead was the one to do that with. And, you know, I'd love to be able to have some kind of romantic notion of saying like this was the one and you know this was exactly the right you know the right step but frankly um, i looked at it from a logistical point of view and of the games i had put together there were several that were at the stage where i could have said okay we're gonna make this one the one we're testing and refining and put it up first there were several that were at that stage but bill shakespeare requires the least amount of art and for that reason it requires the least amount of money to, you know, turn into an actual product. And so that was the one I decided to do first because I didn't want to have my first Kickstarter need a, you know, $25,000 goal just to get the art complete and then get it into production.
0: You've decided to go ahead with Bill Shakespeare's dead, And where does Brick and Brack Games come into the idea process?
1: Well, I am an utter control freak (laughs) and I like to, I like to do things myself. Um, I like to, to know the process and learn things and really be the guy. So for me, you know, taking an idea and handing it to a publisher and saying, here, this is yours now. I'll go do something else. To me, you know, that's not really what I want. And, and really I know that I'm not the world's greatest collaborator either. I'm not great at sitting in down and being like, okay, here's my idea. Let me hear yours and let me integrate all that. And, you know, let's make this a joint venture. I'm not great at that. And I don't think I would be an especially great partner for a publisher. I'm great if, you know, for instance, I, you know, if I hire an artist and I tell the artist, you know, this is exactly what we need. Now add your interpretation. Cool. Now we have a product. But in the subordinate role, I don't do as well.
0: You just dashed all my hopes and dreams there, Paul. All those games we talked about on the game crafter. I thought we, I thought we had something, man. I thought we were going to be working together forever. Best buds and everything.
1: Isn't there a prison game you're supposed to be making? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll get to it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I have been making that.
1: (laughs) So for me, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do it. And it also means that at the end of the day, your percentage is higher if you've done it all yourself. You know, that your, your piece of the pie is not split as many times, which is nice. It's not like the pie is very big to begin with, but at least, you know, it's not, not so diluted. You know, what's there is mine. It is entirely mine. And one of the cool things about it, and this is what I've told backers as well, is that because it's just me, if someone has feedback, a suggestion, they can just email me. And I'm the guy who can fix it or change it or take that suggestion. It doesn't have to go through a committee.
0: Yeah. On the, on the kind of flip side of that though, as well, I mean, yeah, you've got, you get the whole pie (laughs) other than having to pay out to get it printed and all that stuff. But you also take on the bulk of everything. I mean, everything is in your hands now. There's, Mm -hmm. you're not getting, well, I mean, obviously I don't know who you have helping you out, but in general, Speaking in general you know you're you have to handle shipping manufacturing the books you know all the all that kind of stuff
1: and I'm generally good at most of that when you know when there's actual money involved I'll probably have to uh to sit down and and do some consultation um, but in terms of the rest of it you know the logistics wise uh, those are skills that i've I've definitely picked up along the way I'm a project guy I'm definitely a project person, and I have been running Coming from a a background of owning my own theater company and doing live theatrical productions, you know, running a project from start to finish is something I have a ton of experience in. And so that lends itself really well and and pretty easily to this process here. And I just enjoy it. I enjoy kind of the nitty gritty and, you know, really getting in there and wearing all the hats. And yeah, that's something I I like, which is not, not typical, I don't think. I think a lot of people just kind of suffer through those bits. For the sake of, you know, being able to do their game. But for me, I I pretty much enjoy it.
0: So then you kind of had to know this question was probably coming because I'm always curious about it. Then would you, if everything starts going well for you, would you ever think of publishing somebody else's game and expanding brick and brack games? Or are you pretty comfortable in the idea of this is my space to, you know, show the world my creative projects?
1: Oh yeah. If someone had an idea, That I believed in strongly enough and the resources were there and, you know, it wasn't going to be something that, (laughs) you know, we drained the coffers or anything like that, then sure, you know, they would definitely have to, the idea would have to live in the same kind of world as the games that I make, you know, because if you've got a brand, you want everything to kind of fit in that brand. Yeah, I've thought about that and that's not something that I imagine would happen anytime soon, but down the line, I don't see why not. If someone was interested in a brain challenging, very thematic game and they just had, you know, a great idea for it and a great package and it played well, then yeah, I'd take a look at it.
0: All right, this is probably a good spot for us to kind of maybe do a little bit of the the transition here. So Mm -hmm. why don't you go ahead and give us the elevator pitch for Bill Shakespeare is Dead?
1: All right, so Bill Shakespeare is Dead is a fast-paced party game for five or more players with rules variants for three and four players. If you take Cards Against Humanity and add in Mad Libsian acting and Shakespearean shouting and put it in a PG-13 box then you've got something that kind of looks like Bill Shakespeare is dead. It's highbrow, it's lowbrow, it's utterly ridiculous, and a lot of chaotic fun. Right. That sounded pretty good.
0: Yeah, Well done. You've been working on your elevator yeah,
1: was, pitch. A little bit, that was kind of a nice package. I'll have, to, <laughs> I'll have to listen to the recording of that and write that down.
0: Just, yeah, just cut cut that piece out and you can put it somewhere. <laughs> throw
1: it, yeah, I'll just paste it everywhere.
0: Uh, throw a little little bed underneath it.
1: <laughs> there you go. Commercial. Done. <laughs> print
0: i don't know if we got to this part earlier and this is maybe a good part to good place to do this so what made you decide to make bill shakespeare's dead
1: a lot of it came from the fact that you know our our group has played a lot of cards against humanity and you know to try to, try to create this huge gulf of distance between bill shakespeare's dead and cards against humanity is kind of silly even at demos i have it out and i say have you played Cards Against Humanity? Well, then this game lives in the same family tree. It's not a clone. It's not anything like that because there are a lot of clones out there. It's not like that, but it does live in that same family tree. So you have a general idea of the structure. But we play the game a lot. And a lot of what I do in terms of thinking about game design is when we play a game, I think about how would I make this game? What do I like? What do I not like? What improvements would I make? You know, how would I approach making this game? And for me, I think it started with, well, it started with first the name. As I was just walking along one day, uh, the name just kind of popped into my head. Bill Shakespeare is dead. And I thought, that's a really evocative name. And I should make some kind of acting game based on that name. And it struck me that that model that we play with in Cards Against Humanity would kind of fit with an acting game. But I made some really significant changes to really make a new game and not just a clone. The first thing that I decided, well, if I was going to change something, it would be this, was pace. It's unfortunate that the term fast-paced has been obliterated into nothing in terms of games and Kickstarters, because every Kickstarter for a board game has the word fast-paced on it, even if it's not fast-paced, even if it's the slowest Euro game in history where you just push blocks around and pretend they're sheep and wood and wool. No, they're just, everything's like, well, it's gotta be fast paced (laughs) because this actually is fast paced. And it's hard to get people to believe that when everybody says those words. But I, I use this, this example, when you're playing cards against humanity, you play a white card every, you know, five minutes, maybe longer. If there's a lot of you and you're drunk In Bill Shakespeare is Dead, you play a white card every 10 to 15 seconds. So that's, you know, that's for me is fast. Chaotic. But really, that's kind of where the family tree ends. The rest of the structure is completely different. And I wanted to make a game that kind of celebrated one of my own loves, which is Shakespeare, and make a game that everyone could enjoy, whether or not you were a fan of Shakespeare. Um, As long as you're outgoing and don't mind making a bit of an ass of yourself there's a lot that you can really enjoy in the game with no shakespeare background whatsoever
0: yeah it sounds like i mean to me you've kind of combined multiple passions into this game i mean the acting part your love of shakespeare your enjoyment of games like cards against humanity and getting it all into a package that sets itself apart. But still, you know, like you said, pays homage to the fact that you do enjoy Cards Against Humanity and it's in that same family tree, as you said. So it's it's kind of cool that you've been able to take all of those various things from your own experiences and enjoyment and kind of pack them into this one game. It really kind of puts your personality into this game and that's kind of cool to see.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a very, you know, this this game's got me all over it. And really it doesn't just pay homage to the Cards Against Humanity folks, but really it integrates that because part of my, my infomercial pitch at the end of every demo for conventions that we go to is that if you've got, you know, this game uses white cards, they nouns and verbs, and we have made sure to play test it and develop it so that if you have Cards Against Humanity or Apples to Apples or, you know, any game that uses those kind of white cards like that at home, you can just take those cards and insert them into this game and it really expands the replayability.
0: Yeah. I, well, that would be huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah it massively expands the replayability.
1: <laughs> yeah. You suddenly have like seven hundred more white cards, and that really it changes. It not only changes the game, but it just makes it you know stand much longer than it would if it was just well, you've got what you've got here in the box.
0: All right. So you've created a party game here. What is the largest group you've been able to play it with so far?
1: Um, I believe we put together a game with 13 people at a play test.
0: <laughs> wow. L- let's hear about the chaos. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, 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 you know, it was chaotic, but the thing is, I love that. Why have a party and a party game? If it's not going to be completely chaotic, if, if that's, you know, what's the point? Otherwise it should be people shouting and laughing and, you know, throwing things. That's, that's the kind of exuberance that I want to see. Um and that's what we got for sure. 13 people was just crazy and great, really really great. And I think it could support more. I think there was one play tester we had just uh just this past weekend at a convention who said that he really wanted to get the game and play it with their group who has 20. <laughs> wow. And I told him that if he does that, he has to send me a video because I really want to see that. <laughs> 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 I I've I say it, you know, I predict it goes to up to about 15, but there's absolutely no reason it couldn't go to 20. And I would love to see that, that kind of absolute sheer setting the curtains on fire kind of chaos.
0: Was he going to play it like in a game store or something like that?
1: No, that's just his game group. Wow. I was going to
0: say that would be, that would be awesome to kind of see in a game store. Just kind of. Oh, it's true. Going crazy.
1: Our 13 player game was in a game store.
0: That actually kind of reminds me of something too. Let's talk about some of the more. Localized grassroots style things that you've kind of done for Bill Shakespeare is dead and getting people aware of, of your Kickstarter projects. So you've gone to many different game stores and many different locations to kind of demo this game locally. And why don't you share some of your experience with that? Cause I think that's something that some people don't necessarily try to do. And I think they're missing out a little
1: bit. I agree. And you know, I can get if I, I can totally understand that people might be thinking, well, you know, I'm not I'm not big in crowds, I'm not big at meeting people, and I'm really not either. I don't do especially well in social situations. But here's the thing. If you want to sell a game, get over it. (laughs) Just get over it. Because it's your job to be a salesman. And in fact, it's your job to be a door to door salesman. And so you just have to take whatever anxiety you have and get over it. Because you gotta get out there. Um, in preparation for the first Kickstarter launch, which probably later we can talk about first versus second, but in preparation for our, our first launch, well we started off, you know, months ago going to a convention um several hours away where we'd only had one test of Bill Shakespeare before that, and it totally failed. And I retooled just a couple of things, and we hadn't even had a chance to, to test that out before I went to the convention. I was just, like, really sure that it was going to work, and in fact, it did, <laughs> luckily enough. So we went went to a convention, right off the bat, people got to play it, and in fact, people who played it there are some of my backers now. I mean, even that very early version, they followed it all the way through. Then I started, when we were ramping up, I did a test at the local game store here where I live, and then went to three other cities in Montana. And for people who don't really know Montana, (laughs) going to another city, you don't talk about minutes or even miles. The way you calculate distances in Montana is in hours because nothing is under an hour apart, nothing. So one was two hours away. Another one was two hours away. Another one is three hours away. And it was really great. And I got to meet just awesome people who sat down and really enjoyed the game. And that's great for a lot of reasons. One, it's great because the best way to sell a game to somebody is to have them play it period. Hands down. That's how you sell people games. If they play it, then they can turn around and buy it. If they can't play it, it becomes a lot harder to sell them on it.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, they're, they're trying to make that decision without that tactile feel and experience. And I absolutely agree with you. I mean, there's there have been times where I've sat down and done demos at conventions that I go to, and I've had people get up from the table, ask if they could take a minute and go over to the vendor and buy the copy just from sitting down and playing the game.
1: Frankly, it's kind of amazing that Kickstarter works at all because we are asking people to put their money in a pot, not just for a thing, They haven't played themselves, but for a product that isn't even real yet in any real sense. So it's it's kind of amazing that it works as well as it does. It's, you know, you really have to, the currency on Kickstarter is trust above all else. But if you want to get people to buy a game, hands down, get them to play it. And the other cool thing is that as long as your game doesn't suck, you'll get people to play the game. And then you'll have people who are really fans of the game. People who get excited about the game, and it's not just you or your family or your friends. It's people you've never met who come up and play the game, and they're almost as excited about it as you are. And if that's that's huge. That's so great. That's a just a tremendous feeling to have fans of this thing that you did. I had, and I have to actually reach out to him just to have to do that here in the next couple of days. Um I had a guy at one playtest who sat down, and five minutes later he said. I've just started playing this game, but this is now my favorite game. Nice. And like two weeks later, he organized play tests of it. I sent him a review copy and like did a video of it and everything. And I have to get that from him. But, you know, you get people who are just really excited about playing it.
0: Yeah, and I think it, this is something that I covered a little bit uh with JT as well when we did the uh, Promote Your Game on the Game Crafter podcast. But there's also something to be said for... That local pride, you know, when, when you're able to kind of go around and do some of these even smaller cons and game stores and stuff like that locally, there's this local pride that kicks in it's like oh you're you're from my state you're from my town you're from you know and you're making cool things that's cool so in association i know cool people and they live in my state kind of thing and and there's that local swell up of pride that kind of makes people want to see you succeed and want to help you succeed
1: oh yeah and one of the really neat things that we've i've gotten experience this time around is that i went my town actually has a, uh, a convention. Um, that's science fiction and, and games and all that and i actually got to meet a couple of people who have backed the game nice. and sit down and, and play the game with them and you know one of them was was already on board for this campaign and it was just such a, a cool experience to meet somebody who was actively supporting me and she happened to live here as well so it's just a great thing to be like you're already on board and here you are and we get to share this. And that's just neat. You realize that the world is rather small when it comes to hobbies like this.
0: All right. So you kind of alluded to us talking a little bit about First project versus second project. And mm-hmm. you did a nice write up over on All Us Geeks that I really recommend people go check out. In fact, I will throw it in the show notes as well if you haven't already read that. Paul's done a great job. So I don't necessarily want you to rehash that whole thing, but maybe right. one or two things that you consider the the top things that you learned to kind of relaunch for this second attempt.
1: Yeah, so I did I we were on Kickstarter the first time and we didn't do badly at all. Our goal was ten thousand, and we made about forty five hundred with but one hundred and thirty four backers, I think. Which you know, nothing to sneeze at. No, not at all. That's one hundred thirty four people who you know believed in the game enough to to pledge for it, and that's great. This time around, there were a few really key things um, that changed between you know the last time and this time. Um, first was the page itself. There was more text than I wanted there to be on the page, and I was so busy because I was doing a show and because I wasn't home enough that I really couldn't fix it in the way that I wanted to. You know, I wanted to get all that text off the page and make it into a cool image and do something. And I just didn't have time, which kind of segs to that other big point is that it really is, it takes time. You got to be there. You have to be home. You have to be ready. It's not a full-time job, but it's like a, 10 to 15 hour a week job and you got to make sure you have the time to put into it to do things like be on twitter update the page do a podcast you know you gotta be there for that so the page itself is one big thing that changed it went from some okay images and a fair bit of text to almost completely images there was a a kickstarter i looked at that finished not too long ago called a chaotic life which was a, a fun little simple game and their page was great There was not a bit of text on it, not a single word of text. It was all images and the text was big and it was easy to read and it was really thematic. And I was just like, God, that's perfect because maybe it's different for some people. But as soon as I, you know, I study Kickstarter pages and as soon as I see a big block of text on a page, I just scroll right past it. Maybe I'll go back and read it later. But my first inclination is always to just go right past. And so I didn't want that. So now the page looks a lot more thematic and it flows a lot better and it's got that cool watercolor art all the way through. Another big thing that changed was making the game a solid PG-13. That makes it nice for everybody. It's not just for teachers, though I'm definitely pushing for be great in the classroom, but it's just kind of nice for everybody that you don't have to go through and edit when someone's coming over that's younger or grandma or whatever. And I think one of the biggest things that has really influenced the kind of start that we've had, um, because we're doing much better this time around than we did last, is the pricing and adding expansions. Everybody says it, and I just didn't take the good advice, <laughs> but having a deluxe model that's not much more expensive is a super, super good idea. The base game is $25. Um You can add in uh, expansions for $5 a piece or you can get your choice of three expansions for $35. So that's $5 off the cost of that. And right now it's something like seven times as many people are backing at that $35 level than at the $25 level. And the $35 level is actually $5 more than what the game cost the first time around. But it's a better value than that base game. And that's really what people want to see on Kickstarter. They want to see value. They want to see that they are getting a great deal. And that deluxe model is a great deal for them and it gets you to your goal faster so it's good for everybody. So do that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you are in the impulse buy point. Right. Yeah. I think that if your game is 10 to $15, especially if it's $10, I think you could probably just stick with having a $10 pledge and being good.
0: You had mentioned that the first project was you were looking for 10,000. This time around, you're looking for 8,000. How were you able to drop your funding level?
1: Part of it is kind of reducing the buffer, you know, cause you want to have a buffer there. You want to, you know, you don't want to just make exactly what you need because it's always going to be more than that. So I shrunk the buffer a little bit and I also reduced the size of some of the cards. I really got back to like, okay, what is it that makes the game fun? what is it that you know that makes this game? And it's not having huge oversized cards. That's cool, but that's not what what really makes this game and makes it fun for people. If I wanted to get it in people's hands, you know, how do I do that as simply as possible? So making the cards go from what was it, five and a half by five and a half to five and a half by three made a huge difference. You can fit a lot more on a print sheet and it just kind of Makes it a better package. So in doing that, I'm able to cut down the costs quite a bit while maintaining the same, you know, the same level of quality and and all of that. I wish I could cut it down more, but there's not a whole lot of room left. The bottom line is that, and this is one of those things that you only get if you read the insider blogs and consumers don't really get this information at all. But when you price, when you pick the MSRP for a game, generally games out there, you price it for Five times the amount it costs to make the game. That's just kind of the rule of thumb. I'm sure some are more and some are less.
0: Yeah, it's generally five to six. You're you're
1: in that ballpark. Yeah. Park, yep. This is so not that. <laughs> not even close. Not even. Not even close. And that's a risk. That means that my portion of that very small pie is much smaller because I'm not talking five. We're not even talking three. Barely two. So it's. There's a lot of cards in the game, and it costs a lot to put that whole package together and to make it the right price for the party game market, which kind of tops out at $30. My margins are, are very tight, and so I, can, <laughs> I can't really cut much more than the 8,000 gold that's there. But the bottom line is I want to get this in people's hands. I want to get this made and get the name out there and get people enjoying it because people are ready to play it. And I, I want them to be able to do so.
0: All right. So we're kind of wrapping up our hour here. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Yeah, it goes fast. <laughs> It really does. So before I do some quick stats for the project, you know, I always like to ask if somebody's listening to this and then they go over and check out the Kickstarter for Bill Shakespeare's Dead and they're kind of on the fence. They're like, yeah, I can maybe see myself playing this, but I'm not quite sure. What are a couple things that you would tell somebody to go, you know
1: what, Paul, you're
0: absolutely right. I have to back this right now.
1: What I would say is that... You don't have to be into Shakespeare or theater or even acting to be into the game. I am the only actor in our group. Everybody else are pretty much pharmacists. (laughs) And our group has really enjoyed this game. And other groups have really enjoyed this game. And within three minutes of sitting people down at the table at demos, people are laughing and having a great time. It takes two minutes to explain the rules, and then a minute later, everybody's laughing. It's fun. It's absolute chaos. And that's the way it should be. You know, if you're going to throw a party, make it a little crazy. Don't be all staid and formal about it. If you're a teacher or somebody who really loves Shakespeare, this is just completely up your alley. And if you're not a teacher and just someone who wants to have fun and likes party games, this is also completely up your alley. There's a, a gameplay video on the page. And of course, we've got quite a few reviews and if you have any questions about the game, you can always message me. I am the whole show, so if you send you know, a Facebook message or a Twitter thing or whatever, you're going to get me. And I'm always happy to answer.
0: All right. So Bill Shakespeare is dead is on Kickstarter right now. Paul is looking for $8,000. He's got a little over $3,000 right now. And this is going until Sunday, June 21st, 2015. That's by my time. That's that's central time. And that's ending right at midnight. So uh, let's back that up and just just be be safe. Go there by June 20th. <laughs> and make sure you get yep. in on the project. So again, uh, Bill Shakespeare is dead and he's looking for $8,000. Uh, like you said earlier, there's that $25 pledge level to get the base game, and then there's that $35 pledge level to get the deluxe game where you get a bunch of the expansions with it. If this sounds like something that is up your alley, definitely go check it out. Like I said, watch the gameplay video, check out the page, and decide from there. Uh, it is doing very well, has plenty of time left. And, uh, it's good to see Paul back and working on a, this project and, and, like I said, using the research and stuff he's done, not only prior to his first launch, but what he got to learn from his second launch and share with you guys and, and us. And again, that wonderful article he did over on All Us Geeks that we will share as well. So, Paul, thanks for coming on and hanging out with me, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Been looking forward to it.
0: And by the way, uh, you know, thanks also for being a contributor at All Us Geeks. I, I don't know if I, I've officially done that in any capacity for a while, but it's great to have you on and, and writing for us, man.
1: Yeah. It's something I really enjoy. It's nice to have an outlet for it again. Bill Shakespeare is dead.
0: Please go check it out on Kickstarter. And if you are having problems finding it, you know what to do the show notes. I will have a link in the show notes. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us and I will be back with more interviews very soon.
1: Thank you for checking out United geeks network, family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to UnitedGeeksNetwork.com where you will find Broken Prism Reviews, a YouTube channel bringing you game reviews in three parts, unboxing, express gameplay, and a quick rundown of what makes the game stand out. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at UnitedGeeksNetwork.com.